Good morning. It's an early Thursday, August 27th, 2015. This is Tech Talk Today, episode 208. And we're doing another early edition today to make room for a double-double tech snap coming up. Uh, I love saying it like that, a double-double tech snap coming up this afternoon uh, on Thursday. And so we're doing an early edition, and that means it's a little sleepy, it's a little slow, but we still actually managed to have a couple of folks show up in the mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings, mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings, Chris. Hello, guys. Hello, Sean and Zell. So it's very good to have you both here. I don't know if either one of you are AT&T customers. My wife and I used to be back in the day before I switched, and I got burned a few different times. And so to see AT&T's up to its good old games again, oh, man, I don't miss them at all. AT&T was injecting ads into airport Wi-Fi by breaking SSL encryptions, by intercepting traffic. And now it says, oh, well, (laughs) now that you found out about it, (laughs) it was just a test and it's over. Every single time these carriers get caught doing something, like uh, Verizon was recently caught doing very extensive tracking. So say you go to a bar, and then you go to Payless, and then you go to, and it'll, it'll start a building routines, and then it's custom selling ads around that. Once it was discovered, they had to, oh, sorry, it was just a test. And every time these things come up, oh, sorry, it's just a test. And then, and then we just leave it be. Because they were testing, that's fine. Oh, no big deal, you're testing. What? what? Anyways, so AT&T has rolled back that. Uh, the company said... That when the te- it didn't say when it ended its test, but you know that doesn't really matter because uh, you don't ask those kinds of questions. But they just wanted to see what the experience was like to have the ad injections that took place last week. Uh, a company spokesperson noted a variety of ads that popped up, uh, and also uh, somebody who spoke to Recode said that uh, that uh, he had traced them to uh, a, a service called Oh boy, I'm going to really butcher this, but it's R A G A P A, and uh, it's a uh, it's a service that pitches to help monetize companies' Wi-Fi networks. AT&T says they, could, they, uh, they said they uh, couched the experiment as a way to explore how to pay for free Internet service. Our industry is constantly looking to strike a balance between experience and economics of free Wi-Fi. Sean, if you uh, – got to ask you, Sean. If you're, if you're traveling and you need to get online, really, are you okay with maybe them doing a little, uh, a little traffic hijacking to give you free Wi-Fi? Honestly, I don't like any traffic hijacking. That's one of the reasons why I upgraded my router. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. Good point. Uh, what about you, Zell? Would you be willing to uh, have somebody intercept your traffic and throw a few ads in your face if it meant, uh, you know, when you're traveling, you could get some vital information looked up or communications delivered? No, I'm a firm that you treat your Wi Fi like you do your genitals. And we can random open Wi Fi's or even secure ones like that because you never know what's in there. That's very true. Yeah, yeah. You're a little, it was a little broken up there, but yeah, you're right. It, yeah, you should even treat open Wi-Fi that way. Exactly. That's a really good point. Um, and this always, of course, you have to wonder, how, like, what could they do if you were using a VPN? What could they do if you were using SSH? How far could they go? Were they just intercepting HTTP and HTTPS traffic? Uh, of course, uh, one of the nice things about that kind of thing is when those things come up, uh, I, I mean, one of the things that's not very nice about that kind of things is when they do shut it down, you don't get a chance to go poke at it. It'd be kind of nice if uh, researchers got a chance to see what, what you could do. Now, one more Ashley Madison story, and then I think we're probably all done with this. This is the only story I think that I want to cover from it anymore. I don't know. It just I found this one to be particularly interesting because it makes the service sound like a scam to me. So <clears throat> if I was Ashley Madison, this is what I really, really, really would have been worried about coming out. It looks like uh, that most of the people on Ashley Madison were, were dudes. And by a large, large percent. Uh, in fact, it looks like uh, when you looked at all the different 5.5 uh, million female profiles, only uh, very few of them were even active. In fact, there was a good chance there was only 12,000 active women on the site altogether. 12,000 women out of all of the employees on the site. 
uh, I'm sorry, all of the uh, all of the users on the site. Um, it is essentially a scam service. It's a it was a site full of men that were picking between and millions. I, I mean, it, uh, this is really the scam. Is when your when your database gets breached like this, any kind of dirty secrets you have like that, that that also gets exposed. So there you have it. Uh, Ashley Madison uh, mostly run are mostly occupied by dudes. <laughs> Not too surprising, I suppose. <laughs> but but it, it, now that the data's been leaked, it's kind of, um, well, it's out there for everybody to see. There's no getting around it. No wonder why people aren't getting much success on there. Uh, YouTube has launched a Twitch competitor. They call it YouTube Gaming. It's on the web, Android, and iOS. Uh, YouTube Gaming goes head-to-head against Twitch, and it offers many of the same popular features that Twitch has. Uh, the app also, in, in like on Android, has games and channels where you can go look at all the different people playing the different games just like you can on uh, Twitch. And in the last tab, you'll find a list of featured channels divided in two. The first half features current live channels ordered by number of subscribers, while the second half features a list of offline channels ordered by, as, by subscribers as well for maybe people that just aren't online at the moment. Many popular traditional YouTube channels are now gaming channels as well, such as the Machinima ch- uh, 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 channel. When you go and select a channel, you get a live video in chat. It shows up right there. The interface is very similar on the web. Of course, you're also getting things like 60 frames per second and uh, the features that you come to expect from Twitch. Now, Amazon might have itself some serious competition here because uh, some people are saying YouTube is providing a better live stream experience and something that they're offering that Twitch doesn't offer is you can pause and do time shifting of the live stream. So some people are saying the stream quality is better. Other people are saying they like the pause and resume aspect. And, of course, whenever a big, big juggernaut like Google gets into this, I, if I was Amazon, I'd be a little worried. I don't know. If anybody, if anybody out there <clears throat> does any of this game streaming, it's very fun. It's a, it's a great way to, you know, have a few people watch. And uh, it's actually, it sounds kind of silly, but it turns out to, I've tried it a few times, and it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun to do. And sometimes it's a lot of fun just to watch. Anybody in the Mumble Room ever watch Twitch gameplay? By chance? I bet it's not really our scene, I'm guessing. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. Uh, just a little bit for uh, a beta on a game when they were disp- uh, when a team of people were displaying it. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, yeah that's, I, I'll do that too, yeah. <clears throat> or uh, <laughs> and sometimes as a, somebody who, uh, you know, I've, I've taken a, tried to take a hard stand is basically if I can't get it working under Wine and they don't have a native game for Linux... I just am not playing it. The last game I broke that was with Bioshock Infinite, and I played it for a little while, and I felt so guilty. I quit playing it, and I waited until they released it and for Linux. But Twitch has kind of helped me scrap that, scratch that itch from time to time. When a new game comes out, I go watch it on Twitch for a bit for just like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, so, but my son and my daughters, they are way more into this. They are for Minecraft. They love watching Minecraft play. Woo! They can watch Minecraft play all day long. It's ridiculous. I won't let them. But boy, would they love to. And so having this built into the YouTube platform, uh, for them, they're not going to Twitch, really. They're going to YouTube and watching it on demand. YouTube, to my kids, is like, we don't have cable TV. And, um, but I imagine it's very much what cable TV was when I was a kid. Uh, it is, to my parents, like, you know, my parents are like, oh my god, you have all these channels. What do you need all these channels for? And you could never watch all that content. And then, and I'm like, whatever, there's hardly anything good on. And then when I come along, and now I have kids, and now my kids are on YouTube, I'm like, geez, there's all this content. You could never watch all this stuff. And my son's like, whatever, I, I know who I like. And he, in his, in his world, this is just going to make something that's already his main, his main, 
media consumption method, this is just going to make it even better. The fact that Twitch even exists is not a super compelling thing for him because he's pretty much on YouTube all the way anyways. So I think that's really about... I think because YouTube is such a powerful incumbent in the online video space, they have so much eyeballs on their site that just entering this in the mainstream like this automatically makes them Twitch's number one competition. They, I bet, at scale, may, they, they, they have to be close to the scale of Twitch already. Um, and so it's a, and really that means they're Amazon's competition. Uh, yeah, the fact that Twitch has competition makes me want to Twitch. Yeah, I am a little surprised it's gone this far. And you know why it's gone this far? Because we're all going to spend time on our virtual reality chairs. That's right, this VR chair revolves 360 degrees. <laughs> Now, if you've tried the Oculus or any of those, you know, one of the things that's kind of missing is, and it's funny because every time I have somebody try it is they want to walk. They want to move around. You need to sit. Okay. And I'm always telling people. So what I do is I have a studio chair that swivels 360. Right. And I have them sit in that and I make them put their feet on the floor and then they can they can pivot their bodies that way if they want. But when you just hand them a VR headset, a lot of times people just want to start walking. And it's they. like, it's, it, you, they just walk into stuff, like tables and chairs, and they're falling over. And so I have to get them to sit down. And so if you could have a chair that would give you some movement, that would be particularly great. Um, one of the coolest virtual reality uh, demos that's on the Samsung Galaxy VR headset is a tour of the solar system. And you sit in this cool chair with these buttons and a screen, and it feels like, it feels like you're in this little rocket pack with a nice chair, and you fly around the solar system. And, if you could, and, and so one of, the time, one of the times I did that, I put myself in a chair with arms, so it kind of felt like I was in the same chair that I'm in in the virtual reality, and it does a little something. And you combine that with um, a good pair of like in-air headphones or something that closes off the outside sound, and you put that headset on and you sit yourself in a, in a rotating chair, <laughs> you better have a good time because that's a hell of a setup. It is a lot of money to get that far. But, uh, I, yeah, I just I saw this story and I thought it was pretty great. Uh, it's a chair that can go 360 degrees. It can even go vertical, too. Uh, it's, a, of course, surprise, surprise. It was designed in, in Japan. And, uh, and Ubisoft says they're going to invest in it. The uh, MMO, the MM, I'm sorry, the MM1 chair. I almost read that as the MMO chair, but it's the MM1 chair. <laughs> and uh, it touts com- uh, built-in compatibility with the Oculus Rift. <laughs> Who needs a holodeck? I don't need a holodeck. Um, you, if you got an S6, you should consider picking up the Gear VR. It's not that much more, not that much more money. It's nothing. It's not going to blow your mind, but it's really, really neat. Uh, this was an interesting story that uh, I wanted to play. There's a there's a, a little there's a whole lot in here. In fact, I won't even play the video. I'll let you guys watch the video. But <clears throat> back in uh, July of 2013, the GCHQ, which is Britain's equivalent of the NSA, they they seemed to have what was like a temper tantrum at the time for the Observer. The Observer was the newspaper. Uh, I'm sorry, the Guardian was the newspaper that this was uh, that had uh, the Snowden documents, their version of the Snowden documents on their MacBook laptops. And uh, the GCHQ was very upset about journalists having this information, and so they paid a visit a visit to the Guardian's offices, and they smashed the computers. Like they went through and they here maybe I, here, I don't really don't really need to watch this fifty eight minute video, but he does show some pictures in here. They went through and they they tore the laptops apart, <laughs> and they smashed them, and they and they then they poured the, then they took the motherboard off and they smashed them. And uh, uh, they they had to prove that they were truly they wanted to be proved they were totally truly uh, uh, destroyed. Including they took grinders to them, they took drills to them. They had to wear masks while they're destroying all of this. 
Uh, and it seemed a little excessive because, you know, um, it wasn't the only copy of the files. Uh, it seems, it appears to be uh, that uh, by allowing the Guardian's editors to destroy the drives themselves and hold on to the remain sh- remaining shards of the computer dust, the British government essentially revealed those policies by making it possible for people to analyze just what might have been destroyed in each part of the specific way. They're saying that by looking at how they had to be destroyed, they may have given away confidential information. Uh, they, they theorize that the government may have targeted parts of the Apple devices that it doesn't trust, pieces that retain bits of electronic information even when the hard drive is obliterated. I want to back up here because one of the things that they had them specifically request that they destroyed, the GCHQ, and I remember noticing this at the time and I thought it was very odd, they requested that the trackpad controller be destroyed. Now, further analysis has determined that MacBook trackpad controllers have about two megabytes of memory. In fact, there's several chips on the machine that have their own set of memory. Uh, Many controller chips, uh, they, uh, they suspect it was no random, they believe that essentially the GCHQ does not trust these components of the Apple computer. These hidden memory storage locations could theoretically be taken advantage of. Now, they don't know if it would be hackers taking advantage of it, if it would be the government itself, or if maybe the journalists would be trying to use these storage things in some weird, crazy way. Uh, Kaspersky Labs presented evidence that an organization calls itself the Equation Group, which is reportedly linked to the NSA, has developed ways to create an invisible, persistent area hidden inside a computer's hard drive that would be virtually undetectable by a computer's owner. This area would and could be used to save exfiltrated information, which could later be retrieved by the hackers. As in malware, <clears throat> perhaps the GCHQ was concerned that the Guardian very well-regarded journalists may have government-installed malware on their computer that that stores irretrievable or that stores indestructible information in the trackpad memory space or somewhere on the hard drive. Perhaps the GCHQ was worried that another government agency was taking advantage of these storage spots. Um, We don't really know. Uh, Some people think the answer lies somewhere between a power play and a protocol based on real concerns of the agency. Uh, There's a a quote in the the Guardian, in the the Intercept's article that says, I think the GCHQ was doing a half-theater and half-genuine threat response here. The likelihood that the Guardian had anything hidden in the trackpad was low, but from the GCHQ's perspective, they'd hide something in the trackpad so so why wouldn't anyone else? Because GCHQ could do it, maybe anyone else could too. So they think that maybe they were kind of revealing... A little bit of uh, extra information there. This is really interesting, isn't it? Mumble Room, any thoughts on, on this particular thing that perhaps maybe they were revealing a little bit of information and when they had them specifically destroy the trackpad controller in memory? Doesn't that seem odd? Something's going well, on there. It's definitely a tell whenever anyone accesses a network and they're not supposed to or, for, or any of that sort of forensic stuff, you know? <clears throat> yeah, and I think it's also it's it's uh, it's I think that I think the observation that one of the commenters made in the intercepts article, which is linked in the show notes, uh, that uh, it might just simply come down to well, the GCHQ knows it's possible, and since they would do it, they don't want to they don't want to they just assume everybody else is smart too, like they don't want to make any mistakes. And I got to imagine a journalist computer is a high target, especially what a journalist at the Guardian. Did you guys hear about M? I'm not talking about the new Android release, even though that makes it kind of confusing. No, Facebook launched M. It's, it's like its own Siri and Cortana. And one of the things it can do for you is like handle transactions and purchases and buying things. So you can ask things like, uh, can you help me order flowers for my mom's birthday? Uh, is there a dog-friendly beach nearby? Where's the best place to hike in the Bay Area? And Facebook M is going to answer that for you. 
I don't know why you would want somebody else to do it, but Facebook's goal is to like, make Messenger the first stop for mobile discovery. So this is going to be in Messenger. Google has long had and search, uh, had search locked up on the desktop, but I think they hope Facebook hopes they could maybe have a chance on mobile. I don't know. So if, when you try the new service, user will tap a small button on the bottom of Messenger app to send a note to M, the same way they might message anyone on Facebook. M software will decode the natural language, ask follow-up questions in a message thread, and then send updates as the task is completed. Users won't necessarily know whether a computer or a person has helped them, unlike Siri and Cortana. M has no gender. I actually like this. I actually kind of would prefer to be able to text Siri or Katana or Google Now. That's actually, I hate being that guy. Okay, Google. Sorry if I just set off your thing, by the way. Um, I just, that you know, and then like my kids are always making a ton of noise, and so the thing never understands me, or somebody always says something right at the wrong exact moment to mess up the thing. So being able to text is actually kind of nice. And the fact that they, from behind the scenes, they have a little more time to respond, a human being could do that. Uh, I, I actually think this may be a huge deal. Um, I think that we what? should all oh. make those businesses fail. Oh, oh, well, I mean, but at least, you know, it's, it's negative in oh. the freedom dimension. Well, that's true, too. I don't know. Actually, I think Facebook Messenger is actually doing remarkably well in the market. And I guess internal Facebook employees have been using M for several weeks to do things from like organizing dinner parties to tracking down unusual beverages in New Orleans. They say an engineer went to Paris for a couple of days, and his friend asked M to redecorate his desk in a French style. <laughs> 24 hours later, the desk was decorated with a proper napkin, a baguette bread, and a barrette. One of M's most popular requests from Facebook employees testers, the service can call your cable company and endure the endless hold times and automated messages to help you set up home Wi-Fi or cancel your HBO. What? It can sit on hold? What? Yeah, that's because there's a person on hold for your behalf. Facebook M's trainers have customer service backgrounds. They make the trickier judgment calls and perform other tasks that software can't. If you ask M to plan a birthday dinner for your friend, the software might look at the Uber, uh, might, might, might book the Uber and the restaurant, but a person might surprise your friend at the end of the night by sending over birthday cupcakes from her, th- from her favorite bakery. M learns from human behaviors, they say. Eventually, the service might be sophisticated enough to figure out all this stuff on its own, but not soon. Right now, M's trainers sit close. They call them trainers. Isn't that cute? M's trainers sit close to the engineering team inside Facebook's offices. The company confirms that the trainers are contractors, but won't say how many there are. Isn't this kind of weird, but yet totally at least unique and different? Human-powered and computer-powered. That is really something. Boy, look at Facebook Go. They are, you just never know what they're going to do next. Next thing they're going to do, they're going to drop a billion dollars on a photo app. Who knows? Any thoughts on uh, on Facebook's uh, M integration with Messenger? Mumble room? It's just really creepy how they're just getting all this information from people. <laughs> <laughs> yet, yet another data mine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you guys. It is a little creepy, but at the same time, like, uh, it's also from a competitive advantage standpoint. Like, I kind of respect that they're doing something different with a messenger that nobody else is doing, and I also kind of respect that it's not a gimmick like Cortana. Um, I, I, it's just really super practical. You text a natural language question to M, and the computers and people answer it. And, you know, you know that the computer is going to handle the first message, the first few messages, so it's going to be quick, and then they're going to bump it to a human, but at that point, they're already going to be ready in the queue, so I bet you it's a pretty quick response. I'm curious. I would almost like to just try it because I'm just interested in that interaction. 
But yeah, I'm not I'm not big on Facebook Messenger. I don't like Facebook messages. None of that. I, I prefer to have I prefer to have my messaging system be. I, I like uh, the reason one of the reasons I like Telegram, even though people have concerns about their own implementations of their own crypto. One of the things I like about Telegram is that it's a dedicated messaging service. That's what they do. Um, I, even WhatsApp has gone too far away from that. I, I, I really just want a, a, something to be dedicated on messaging and just really do that really, really well. And uh, I really enjoy Telegram. Hangouts, not so much for me. Hangouts uh, is close, but it has that whole, it's not Google's main gig thing, right? I mean, it's a good product. Um, and I do use it. It's on my phones. But uh, Telegram, that's their gig. That's what they do. That's their entire company focus. That's their entire vision. That's their dream. That's their aspirations. And uh, I, I, have a, I have a sense that it makes for a better product and a more focused product and one that isn't being led, ar- led around by uh, strategy tax. Hey, uh, something else that uh, I'm pretty happy about. We picked up a few uh, patrons over at Tech Talk Today, or over at Tech Talk Today's Patreon page, patreon.com slash today. I think, you know, when, uh, when I do an early show, I think my mouth wakes up way before my brain wakes up. And so it just, you know, it just gets the words out there. And then my brain's like, hey, wait a minute. That wasn't the right thing. Patreon.com slash today. That's where you go to support us. We have so many great things in the works. Some new shows that are brewing, a big Jupiter Broadcasting road trip, and we're doubling down on more content than ever. And also, we have to uh, keep in mind that I have some surprises in the works for our patrons. I, I, I haven't been plugging it very much because I don't know exactly when it's going to land, but I intend to do I picked up a uh, Jupiter Broadcasting trailer. I'm going to go on, on the road. I'm going to do mobile shows, and I intend to record my trials and tribulations with building and setting up some of that mobile studio and posting that for our patrons over at patreon.com slash today. So I just want to remind you that that will be coming to you as an extra benefit to those of you who support the network over at patreon.com slash today. Thanks to all of you. We have gotten so many awesome, awesome, great submissions for end of show intros. Yeah, we're, we're still doing that for a little while because it's just, it's too cool. Uh, intro clips at the end of the show are awesome, and so many great submissions have come into the show. I'm going to just pick a, a couple more to play from. I, I mean, maybe, well, I'll tell you what. I'll leave the submissions open for next week. Because I don't know if we're going to do another show this week because we got double tech snap today and then I got a bunch of stuff going on tomorrow morning with the trailer and the Linux action show. So I don't think we're going to have a tech talk tomorrow. So I'll keep, I'll keep submissions going for a while since we haven't been regular. And that drives me crazy. Um, but it is crazy, crazy busy these days. So uh, keep up to date on when the show is going to be live and posted over at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And keep submitting your intros, techtalktoday.reddit.com. Also stories and uh, discussion welcome there. And uh, we'll keep doing these for a little bit since, uh, since I haven't been able to be super regular and burn through them as fast as I want. This one actually was a little bit before my time, but the reruns were still going well, 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 well into my late childhood. So I know many of you are probably very familiar with uh, this next one. And if you're not familiar with it, well, it, it represents a, a more innocent time uh, when America in the 60s looked ahead and thought the future was going to be something much more fantastical. So uh, it's it's very quaint. Even if you're not familiar with it, it's still very quaint. And if you are familiar with it, I bet it's really going to take you back. Thanks for joining me. See you right back here next week. Double Tech Snap on the live stream today. Live Linux Action Show on Friday. And keep your eye out. We're going to try to fit the faux show in somewhere if we can. Uh, it's, t- it's difficult with the crazy schedule and then also scheduling childcare. But if we can make it work, we are going to try to shoot a faux as well. So just check the calendar, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. All right. Thanks for joining me. See you back here next week.
George Jetson. Here's boy Elroy. Daughter Judy. Jane, his wife. 